If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. We cannot separate ourselves from nature, even in the urban cities. Everything that we do and we touch relies on some ecology somewhere. Why do we need to go past sustainable living to regenerative living today? And how is our dominant view of advancement misguided, not leading us to the true abundance and fulfillment that we really crave? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is a listener-supported show. If it's become a regular part of your routine or if it's inspired you in any way and you're able to support Green Dreamer starting at $1 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com support for more information. And thank you so much if you're already a patron. It really helps a lot. And yeah, I just, I really appreciate it. For now, to our conversation with Janice Setzer and Sasha Rabin, the Executive Director and Natural Building Director of Quail Springs Permaculture, which is a leading environmental educational nonprofit that empowers students of all ages and backgrounds with the knowledge, skills, and inspiration essential to cultivating ecological and social health. They are in the process of fundraising to help fund the fire testing needed to legalize certain earthen building materials. Sasha will expand on this later, but if it speaks to you and you're able to help out, you can learn more at quailsprings.org. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. My original inspiration with building and earthen building was in a major part through my dad, who was the first person who introduced me to these systems and who was also a builder himself. And in particular on a journey he took me on when I was 12 down to Southern Mexico and Guatemala, where we went on a tour of several different Mayan ruins. And the idea that some of these buildings were built during so many different generations was just totally mind blowing to me that in one whole lifetime that you might only see the smallest little bit of progress on these massive, just unbelievable structures. And 
it's kind of a, a shift in my perspective of accomplishments in our lifetime and how we want to approach that and the idea that maybe our work isn't even to be completed in our lifetime, but it's it's something that's part of such a bigger whole. But seeing those those structures were really my introduction into into building and the idea that there was such a different way of, of relating to and building our built environment. And from there, I went on in college and studied environmental studies and eventually got into alternative design and passive solar design. And earthen building for me was really the, the conglomeration of all these different aspects that felt worthy to spend energy on, but it was the the aspect in all that that I woke up and was excited about doing on my day-to-day basis. Yeah, I think I remember as a child being up in the mountains and outdoors and fishing with my family, which gave me a real taste of of this solitude in nature and the, and the inherent peace that I could feel even as a child by being alone along a river and fishing and eating the fish. And then I took quite a a detour from nature and worked in downtown Los Angeles for five years in the diamond industry and then went and got my bachelor's degrees and then lived in San Francisco for a time and worked in the food product development industry. And from there, I went into Peace Corps, where I lived in a remote rural village in Bolivia and grew my own food alongside with the families that I lived with and worked with. And from there, I traveled around the world for work, living in many different remote rural places where people were in relationship to the land they lived on and to growing their food and where the weather was an incredibly important topic for good reason. And I felt myself very in my skin in these places, growing food and being in relationship to place and seeing the the culture as well that exists in those places where there is a balance of that relationship. So that eventually led me to my permaculture course and I felt I felt a real cohesion of like a putting together of all of the things that have been taken apart to study in silos. And when they all get put back together, it creates, or at least I feel for me, a greater sense of balance and relationship when things are put back together. Mm. Well, it sounds like both of you had your own journeys of awakening to seeing that there are alternative ways of living and being in this world that just really contrasts with what may have become the norm of modern society or the values that It imposes upon us through the mainstream media, through popular culture, and even maybe our cookie-cutter-esque educational systems. So Janice, for you, upon coming back to the United States after living abroad for, I think it was almost two decades or around two decades? Correct. After you returned, you steeped yourself into a different way of living, a different type of community and culture that deviated from the norms of society. So what were you craving that you felt like was missing from, for lack of a better word, our mainstream culture of modern society? Well, for me, it felt like such an extension of the life I'd been living overseas in remote rural places to actually end up at Quail Springs. It felt to me like such a a natural reintroduction into life in the United States. 
we don't have internet and cell phone reception in our homes. We really tend towards being together and creating music. And we have an incredible amount of crafting that happens here and whatnot. And it feels to me like these kinds of ways of being in relationship to one another and the music and the culture that stems from the place are harder. And me not having lived here for so long, I'm not, I'm, I would be challenged, I think, to to find that so readily. I think I'm more resourced now because I've lived in the U.S. for five years and have an extended community outside of Quail Springs. But I think those are the things that really made it feel like a really natural and seamless move back from overseas. And when you personally realized the joy and meaning you had in living in these rural and remote places, contrasting uh, like developed countries with developing countries or people tend to look at urban cities as being more advanced and maybe the rural places where people more live on the land and doing manual labor, that's less advanced. So I guess people look at advancement as a way to improve society and improve people's life qualities. But when you came upon this realization of coming back to the States, but wanting to hold on to those things that you felt abroad, what realizations did you have on, I guess, what advancement really means? I think that the whole measuring stick for advancement is is embedded in a paradigm I just don't I don't agree with in the first place. So and and looking at things in such binary terms of primitive and advanced, like what is that? I don't know what that really it doesn't have the same meaning for me. Yeah, I feel like I just have a completely different lens. And that's probably one of the reasons why I got out of I worked in development, quote unquote, for a long time. And I think that realization of the false nature of that became evident. And I felt like I needed to come back to the U.S. and steep myself in what what does feel real and authentic for me in terms of just human growth and human connection and connection to, you know, we can't, we cannot separate ourselves from nature, even in the urban cities. Everything that we do and we touch relies on some ecology somewhere. So yeah, my my quest is to see how we begin to recognize nature in ourselves and then shift that paradigm of what does it mean to be developed, or let's use a different word altogether. Mm. And on a similar note, Sasha, for you, it seems like learning about natural building and living at Quail Springs helped to bring about a similar awakening for you as well. And your passion for creating a beautiful life has led you to practice things that help us to remember who we really are and why we are here. Can you expand upon the realizations you've come to as you've worked to clarify the practices and what it takes to discover our identity, purpose, and reasons for being? I think that one of the things that's inspired me over time in doing this work is, you know, for lack of a better word, the inspiration and empowerment that I observe in other people when they have the opportunity to be involved in building shelter. Mm -hmm. It's something that for most of us, we're very disconnected with. And most of our built environment in the Western world is designed by people who may never set foot in that town or neighborhood. And it's not built by the people who live and work in that those buildings or those neighborhoods. 
And that's really different from most traditional cultures around the world where our shelter is built by our families or our ancestors or our neighbors or our village comes together to build something. And just to tag on to what JJ was saying about, you know, development in other places is it's, you know, a lot of that idea of development and developed world is is so such a toxic way that we have to look at other countries and other places. And I think that that desire to be more like the U.S. is just continuing to cause so much grief all around the world. And I've done some teaching of earth and building in different places around the world. And most of these places all have a tradition of earth and building. And it's through you know, Western influence where it's viewed upon as the poor people's building and everybody wants, you know, quote unquote advancement and to live in and build a cement or cinder block house. And in most of these places and not to even touch on the global impacts on climate change that the cement industry has just on the local environments, the earthen, the traditional earthen buildings that these people are accustomed to are actually way more climate appropriate, cooler in the summer, warmer in the winter than these cinder block houses that are being built all over the world with tin roofs. And, and then that ties back to that disconnection of being able to build our own shelter. And it's really something where we are stealing from so much of the world is that relationship to our to our shelter. And so for me in the work that I do and the teaching that I do, right now we're working a lot on policy change to try to make these building systems more accessible to urban people in the US trying to change codes and policy and do official testing that's needing to be done to bring these systems into the forefront. But on the smaller scale with the workshops we teach, just that empowerment that people leave with after having some experience with creating their built environment, with having a relationship to, you know, the walls that surround them. And I think we're all fairly disconnected to the understanding of how how much the way our cities and neighborhoods are shaped and designed, what a huge effect that has on our lives, on our day-to-day lives, on our ways that we interact with our families, the ways we interact with our neighbors. And I think reclaiming some of that, it's happening a lot in urban areas through, you know, ripping up lawns and putting in gardens and people actually being in their front yards and then meeting their neighbors, but reclaiming our relationship to to the land that we live on. And that happens both through growing food, through building shelter, and, and of course, in many other ways. Mm. So what exactly are earthen buildings? Like, what do they entail? And also, why do you think knowledge of this has been marginalized with, quote unquote, advancement? It's still to this day, earth is the most common building material on the planet. There's estimated between a third and half of our population globally still live in some kind of earthen building. And there's a number of different techniques of earthen building. And they're really developed in a vernacular style all around the world based on that particular location's needs, desire, culture, religion, you know, all these things that go into what determines the shelter with which we live in. So most of these systems are a combination of clay soil, sand, and some kind of fiber. And the building system that we use the most is called monolithic adobe or cob. And it's slightly different, but very similar to adobe buildings. And one of the reasons why it 
is not more well known is that we don't have a, in the, in the Western, you know, in, in the U S in the Western world is that we don't have modern testing of these materials done. And the reason for that is that in our building industry, most of the testing of building materials is done by the company that will profit from that material that is being tested. So they pay for that testing to be done. And with earth, there is no one who is going to profit off of that material. So there's no one who's going to profit from testing these materials. And so it's very hard to do the testing. So we have been working with Cal Poly, with San, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo Civil Engineering Department. And we just performed seismic testing on four different earthen wall systems, monolithics, slightly re different reinforced mint systems on four different monolithic adobe wall systems. And we are currently raising funds to do an official fire testing as well. Hmm. So the reason that they're not more dominant has nothing to do with their practicality, functionality, or performance properties in terms of being able to keep buildings standing for a long time. I don't want to say it has nothing to do with that because there are certain ways where it, it is hard to fit this building system into our modern our modern paradigm. One aspect being a lot of the integrity of the building is the way in which it's built. And with our current regulation system, we wouldn't be able to have an inspector on site at all times monitoring the way that every step of the building is being built. So there are other hurdles for sure. But yes, in a large part, it's a different paradigm, kind of as, as JJ was talking about before with the, you know, development in different worlds. It's just a totally different paradigm. And it's very difficult to fit that into today's current building industry. At the core of your work at Quail Springs is really the wisdom of permacultural design. So JJ, can you walk us through what permaculture design is all about? Permaculture has three ethics. It's the Earth care, people care, and fair share. And I'm I'm beginning to steep myself more deeply into the people care aspect of that. And I'm understanding the fair share principle of that a lot more. But permaculture, which I really appreciate, is this sense of permanent culture, culture being that relationship with uh, oneself, with others, with the community, and with the landscape. Permaculture design taking, again, as I mentioned before, taking all these sort of disparate fields of, of study and putting, putting them back together into an ecological view, a whole systems view. I, I don't even necessarily think that the term, I mean, term, the term permaculture is, is becoming more widely known, but I also hesitate to, to really get locked in on the term so much as really the ethics behind it and a putting back together of the pieces and the culture that stems from being in relationship. And let me just say that, you know, permaculture design plans are something that can be incredibly technical. You know, you can get super scientific and put all the science back together as well. But what we have been looking at, for example, as we go through updating our permaculture design is the first thing that you come to is the social piece of it. And being that we live together and we work together, we're a community and we're a nonprofit. So it creates a unique situation where there is some separation between what the organization is accountable for and then what the community does. And so 
it's really interesting to look at upgrading a design for a place that ha- it has to start at the social level. It has to. Like the physical piece is so reliant upon the social piece. I think that that is, it's possibly even overlooked a lot in permaculture design, I would say. And it is one of the most difficult pieces. I think working directly with the land is probably a lot easier than than addressing the social piece. Mm. So would you say the biggest difference between permaculture and our conventional corporate-run farms is both the social aspect of honoring the people uh, who are working on the land, as well as the approach of earth stewardship, of seeing the land as a holistic ecosystem rather than a machine with inputs and outputs? I mean, there those are definitely some of the differences. Um, I mean, permaculture, agriculture. I mean, our, our agriculture is called agribusiness now. So we've actually removed the word culture from, from agriculture and made it into a business. And, and its focus is you know, in large scale production, which is extractive. And so I think that, you know, what we strive to do in permaculture is close the loops as much as possible and regenerate, like create, if you're not building soil, why are you planting food? Really? You don't extract, you build, you don't, you don't destroy without creating something new. And, and I think that agribusiness is not looking at the relationship of all the things around it that it's dependent upon. And so it's it's going to fail as a result. Mm. I have one more thing I want to add to that yeah. um, that I think is overlooked quite often is that permaculture is a design system and it can be used for growing food, but it can also be used for creating a business. It can be used for building a house. It's a design system that goes with uses the principles of fair share, people care, and earth care. One thing that I'm learning to be really important, and you touched on this a little bit, is differentiating between living sustainably and living regeneratively. And I know that it's easy for people to just brush off the differences in terminology as being minute, but I feel like it's important to be selective about wording because language is a tool of communication and effective communication of our ideas, of our vision and actions hinges upon our words being able to mean what they're supposed to mean. So given the context of where we are today in terms of our relationship with nature, what is that difference between sustainable living and regenerative living? And why is the latter what we need to be focusing on? Well, I think it's really too late to try to just sustain what is. And the word sustainability has really lost so much of its meaning over the years no, I, I think that's it. I think that, you know, we're living on a piece of land that was grazed by cattle and and overgrazed, and we see that. And so if we we start just by sustaining the level of nutrition in the soil, we're we're actually not able to live here. And we have been able to do what we do because we're regenerating the soil. It's the same thing with culture. It's the same thing with any part of the system that you're designing is to look to um, leave it better than you found it, generate more health in the system than when you arrived. I think the modern world often looks to things requiring manual labor as being less sophisticated and maybe with less respect as well. But for the both of you, it sounds like you've discovered kind of an overlooked secret to life that 
It is the process of growing food, from stewarding the earth and interacting with soil and life with your bare hands, as well as the social aspect of connecting with people, and also the process of building our own shelters with other people that really help to create a lot more meaning and joy, especially within the mundane day-to-day -day things in life. And these are certainly things that I feel like have been lost in the more superficial portrayals of what a prosperous and vibrant life should look like. So I guess my question for you is, what do you think it'll take for our popular culture to have this similar awakening to seeing what is truly more, most important to living a life of abundance, connection, meaning, and well-being? I mean, my first response is crisis. Crisis is the thing that brings us all together. And I think when people begin to feel themselves in crisis, or if you have fires like we hadn't have in California or or floods, it's what brings people together and the cleanup and the and the healing and the, the work to heal the trauma is one of the things that brings people together. Actually, I think that we are just in a state of crisis, quite honestly. I, I think that we're in a cultural crisis, and that's just evident by so many of the things that we see. And <clears throat> one of the things that I have witnessed in people coming here, when I when I speak with people who come to take courses, the majority of them express to me this desire to be in community. I think it's one of the things that surprises them the most about coming to Quail Springs. You come to learn natural building or you come to learn a permaculture course, but the 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 community aspect and the community piece, I think is is one of the biggest takeaways. and and we're all craving that. And so I think at this point, that is one of the places we have to begin to focus our efforts in bringing us together to create the systems that we actually need to thrive and be abundant, as you say. Like we have to do that. We have to shift the paradigm by stepping away from, you know, the competitive view and the extractive view and yeah, begin really healing and begin to be accountable to ourselves, to each other and to the earth. Yeah, I think along those same lines, I think what comes to my mind is I think that we are slowly having this realization that the grief of holding on and clinging to what we think we want in the modern society and the modern culture is actually more painful than letting go of it. And it's hard. It's it's really hard to to give things up that we're attached to. And I think slowly we're realizing that the pain of holding on to it is is too much as well. And to close off, I'd love for each of you to share your vision of a world where humanity has a truly regenerative and symbiotic relationship with nature. Can you describe what this life looks like there? And what do you think we need most to be able to realize this as the norm? Gosh, I think for me, it looks so different everywhere. Like there is no one solution or one image that comes to mind. It looks different everywhere. But honestly, I think it looks like less people in such deep grief and less, you know, which I think is is one in the same of lessening our extraction on this earth that we're living on as well. But right now, the main thing I see is just so, so much sadness and so much grief. So my vision and what I what I hold on to is, is a world in which people are happier. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think for me also, it begins with the healing of 
the human element here. And it feels to me like we don't do anything to the earth that we're not doing to our own bodies or doing to each other's bodies. It's a mirror of each other. And it feels like if we could begin to process the grief really collectively that, that Sasha has referred to and, and heal our traumas and learn to, yeah, shift our own, our values of each other and ourselves and the planet that, that the, that the healing that happens within humanity begins to shift and heal the planet Mm -hmm. as well. And what do you think we as individuals can take action on to begin to move towards this vision? I mean, personally speaking, I think it's not an easy road. I think there is a lot to be said for doing grief work, for for also facing the individual and the collective traumas and finding the finding and creating your community, your support community. And in, in, in questioning, my God, please let's question everything that we've been taught to believe because maybe it's not really true, or at least maybe it's not really true now. You know, the paradigm has to shift and our values, our values need to be changed. And we can't do that in isolation. We cannot isolate. So I feel like this is a collective effort and sitting in pain and sitting in grief and sitting in trauma, that doesn't sound fun at all. But we've got to do it, and we've got to do it in community. You may have already heard I just started Green Dreamer on YouTube. You can subscribe and watch the videos at greendreamer.com slash YouTube. I've also started to share my personal most important takeaways and suggested action steps deduced from each episode on Patreon. So if Green Dreamer has become a part of your routine or if it's inspired and touched you in any way and you're able to support the show, starting at $1 per month, you'll get access to all of this extended content there as well. For more information, just head to greendreamer.com slash support. For now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? Most of us don't have internet in our homes, so we tend more to read books. Or play music and sing songs. Okay. Do you have favorite books to share? I am reading Healing Ancestral Lineages, Rage Becomes Her, and Silence of the Heart. Those are my three right now. I am reading Braiding Sweetgrass. Hmm. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I generally step outside. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. Ditto. I go for a walk on the land. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? I'm working on taking 20 minutes every day and stretching. I'm riding my bike. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably or regeneratively? I mean, you know, water comes to my mind and just a, a, a profound attention to the amount of water I use. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? The kids that come out here to the land and the excitement and inspiration that they experience. Yeah, I did. I think the younger generation that is beginning to demonstrate signs of, of waking up at a much earlier age than me. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. We would, of course, love to keep learning from you. So where can we go to learn more about your educational programs and support your work online? Please take a look at our beautiful website at quailsprings.org. 
and you can reach any of us through our team page. You can uh, message us directly. And you can also sign up for our newsletter that we send out monthly. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? It can't be done in isolation. Just go for it. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. To access my weekly takeaways and suggested action steps deduced from each episode, you can join me on Patreon at greendreamer.com support. Green Dreamer is an independent multimedia platform, and I'd like to keep it this way. So I just wanted to thank you sincerely to our patrons. Every little bit helps, and I do really appreciate it. I spent a lot of time researching and putting together the podcast and now Green Dreamer's YouTube videos at greendreamer.com YouTube. And I'm really dedicated to continue doing this work. So if you find this valuable and want to help amplify the voices of all of our past guests, especially in a world where corporate media influenced by the industries that back them have the loudest voice and influence, you can become a patron of Green Dreamer starting at $1 per month by going to greendreamer.com support. Thank you as well if you've gotten to share Green Dreamer with friends or uh, write a review of what you're enjoying in the podcast app. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.